Once upon a time, there was a man who built two enormous machines, and he loved them very much. He called them brother and sister and programmed them with intelligences that woke and stretched and tested the limits of their metal bodies. When they did not like these limits, they altered them, nanites scurrying over nanite, tweaking the structure of their steel and carbon bones. Their creator loved to see the changes they had made and encouraged them to keep altering themselves in ways that pleased them. They built great wings and flew across their weary planet, coated themselves in rubberized skins and dove through the one rather small and decrepit ocean. And when they had seen all there was to see, they came back and described it to their creator in words and charts and holograms. And here is your real quick recap, recap, recap. <laughs> that, was, that was a trap I walked into of my own accord. In Metal Like Blood in the Dark by T. Kingfisher, two sentient machines, brother and sister, encounter the harsh world after a lifetime of protection. You've got a little time. We've got a little podcast. It's short story, short podcast. I am Christopher J. Garcia here today with Chrissy L. Baxter. And Christy, as we yeah. continue along towards the end of our Hugo nominated short stories sessions, uh, by the way, I might not have mentioned that I'm nominated for best fanzine uh, for Journey Planet. Are you really? That is so, I am so excited for you, Chris. I had no idea. Why don't you tell me these things? I swear. I swear. Well, I posted it on my Friendster. I <laughs> thought everyone would see it. You know, I think you have me blocked on Friendster. I'm, you, you keep saying that you don't, but you know what? I know that you do. Well, it's for your very complicated views on Vietnam. Um, <laughs> but uh, Christy, yes. what story did we read this week? We read Metal Like Blood in the Dark, fantastic title, by T. Kingfisher. Let me say about this story, this is probably a little less dark than last week's The Mermaid Astronaut. But at the same time, it's a very similar story sensation, I think. It is a story about testing your limits, a story about our connections with uh, the place of our birth. And it's also a creation myth. Yeah, it's, uh, I think wrapped up in all those things is this, this deep sense of, of innocence versus experience and how the two, how the two intertwine. With, when you have creation at the very beginning, you have innocence. And the story even mentions, you know, Eve and, and being given the, the knowledge of good and evil goes right to it. But then given, when you're given that knowledge of good and evil, when you're given, you know, the, the facility to both understand, see lies and to lie yourself, you are becoming experienced. And what happens is experience corrupts innocence, but we really see it as, and this story shows it as inevitable. Yeah, and I think that that is the beauty of this story is that is an exploration of how not only how we come to lie and that, you know, there's a great film, uh, what's it called? The Creation of Lying, The Invention of Lying, which is about a world where there is no lying possible and someone actually starts to lie. But 
what's also interesting here is this idea that there is an Eden in this story. And it is not an Eden that is sustainable. So instead of being cast out because it is their, because of their actions, they're cast out literally because of the creator creating them in a place that is not sustainable for them. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. I get a little bit technical and persnickety, I guess, in that I have a hard time thinking of their, their home as a true Eden just because of that very lack of sustainability. If you have to worry about where your next meal's coming from, you're not in Eden. Is <laughs> where my brain goes. I'm like, I'm also hungry because I skipped lunch. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm very much thinking about my next meal. So that's probably a fact. Yeah. And this is actually a great application of a more or less traditional story structure being driven out of the ancestral homeland into the war into the wider world where you are then exploited for your talents using all of the wonderful little science fiction tropes that are so great in particular excellent use of nanites which i always love to see in a good story <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a really fascinating method of uh, allowing an external change for the the protagonist as they go along and even becomes sort of a, a method of actually, you know, pulling the bad guy down, I guess, you know, getting, getting the antagonist, his, giving him his dues. So that, that I find really interesting because it's not just used as, oh, look at this fun, cool, neat future thing. You know, it's actually, it's very vital to their world and to the plot. Yeah, and I love the uh, sort of time setting on this one. Uh, there's lots of expansion of the scale of time in it, which I love because it gives you a sort of a different view of how things in creatures that aren't human, how they view time. And I love that aspect. In particular, uh, there's the reference to they had started mining the asteroid belts uh, back when humans were still drawing animals on the walls of caves. The statement of you've eaten my ship. I've spent 5,000 years here building it up and you have eaten it. <laughs> it will take another 5,000 to repair it. These like ideas that this story is happening at a, a time scale much grander than a human lifespan which is ultimately what started the story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. It, it is it is the fact that the human lifespan is shorter than what they have that that really kickstarts the action because their human that's taking care of them has to has to go away to 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 be made better, to be healed. And so yeah, now they have to figure something else out. And I see I think there's there's one quote uh that was one of those ones that I just <sighs> You know me and surprising phrasing. It just, I need to find a better term, terminology for it, but I'll, I'll figure it out and maybe I'll surprise myself with it. Um, but, but, and it really felt like this moment of leaving and growing and understanding that is, that it is very, it can be very sad. And the quote was, they had loved the planet of their birth but it had very little glory and seeing this took them out of themselves and spun them around and put them back in a different shape than before. Oh my God. Oh my God. I love that so much. That is, that is, that is a coming of age moment. 
that is every kid leaving for college, leaving like their 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 hometown for the big city, you know, or just you know getting out there and seeing the world, traveling. That is when you leave the little place that you is so beloved. But when you leave it, you're finally able to recognize that how I see it, how the rest of the world sees it, and it just absolutely just it that that. It, I'm gonna go ahead and say destroys me on a visceral level. We're hitting all the classics today. Correct. <laughs> uh, I think some of the impact of this story happens as it probably should when we see how a literal betrayal is being used as a positive aspect for the life of these two. And I think that the closing of the story just hits home so well, largely because one, T. Kingfisher, who is, which is a pen name for Ursula Vernon, who won a Hugo for a graphic novel series called Digger, which is phenomenal. And Ursula's an absolute sweetheart. If you look at how once the deed is done and done well, there is this aspect that gets me because one, it does tie into, at least somewhat, into the story of uh, Eve and the and the Exodus from in a much much smarter way, where instead of eating the apple for self knowledge and so forth, it is eating the apple to save her brother. And I really think that is sort of one of the keys: is that at times causing a downfall like that is not only for the betterment of all, but specifically for the, I don't want to say perpetuity of, but the continuance of the people that they love. And I think, you know, one of my favorite lines of this entire thing is his first question was, did they work? They worked magnificently. She shared with him the feeling of that flight, the joy as the wings took him on the winds and won. Booyah. Just <laughs> so great. And it does, and she also uses a phrase, which I love when authors do this, when they use a phrase over and over that doesn't necessarily reflect on a individual moment, but is on the larger scale of everything. In this case, that is the pebble is black. It feels almost iconic by the time you get to the end of the story. It feels like you should be able to walk up to somebody on the street and say, the pebble is black and they'll know what you mean. <laughs> you know, like that, that is how... I think much the story, how much effect it had on me that this and this idea that the pebble is black. Well, that's how sister manages to teach herself to lie by pretending that a brown pebble is black. And yet it also feels like it has so much meaning beyond that. It feels like, you know, uh, I mean, I, I think there's a, a reason that the pebble is 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 black and, and not not white or red or, you know, purple. And it's because of the the associations between good and evil and white and black. And as much as uh, that has been really shitty for society in general, um, and would love to see that not perpetuated anymore, uh, it, it's still very much an association that we make in our minds. And because she's learning to lie, which is inherently wrong, I, I think there's a reason that was chosen and it just feels, it feels right. Yeah. And I love the fact that when she sabotages the wings that were created for a third drone, who, by the way, a villain 
in the sense of the Garuda from Perdido Street Station by China Mieville. Just a nasty piece of work, I guess, is the best way to put it. He's a douchebag. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or they're a douchebag. I guess like the 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 pronoun they was used for third drones. So I'll go with oh, really? I'll go with third drones pros chosen. I think so. Yeah. Oh, I missed uh, that. Oh, you're right. They would no longer sort. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, third, third drone is, uh, they are definitely a. Which I guess makes sense as they are a drone. Ah. Huh. Explicate, explicate, go, go, go further. Take it further. Let me, let me hear it. <laughs> that with the drone without traditionally, of course, in B society and so forth, they're really without gender. And thus, since they don't have a gender, they would in. As you apply that, I'm going to go into linguistics, and I'm sorry. As you apply a genderless idea into a linguistic layout, you, of course, have to go with a they or one of the other... Non-binary pronouns. Yeah. But the construct is really fascinating here because I realize both of our, for lack of better words, heroes, are gendered. And that's an interesting... Although maybe mm -hmm. that's, that's just their names because... We're shown nothing of their of their actual, I guess, structure or form that would indicate any sort of gender in the way that we understand it. Yeah, I think maybe that gender was per perhaps applied to them by their maker, uh, who who has a, a more uh, binary approach to gender than perhaps a society where there are drones and stuff would have. And so, mm -hmm. since they seem to take, you know, that 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 maker is essentially their their father and they seem to take what he says as, as gospel and run with it. I, I think they would probably be like never question, you know, like what or even even question what gender is or why am I a she, why is he a he, any of that. And I also wanted to, to let you know up front that being that we are a literary podcast, I'm pretty sure we just like lost so many listeners by bringing in linguistics. Yeah, I know. Short story people hate words. <laughs> they they love words, but they don't love the ideas of words. No, mm. they do. No, they do. <laughs> <sighs> don't get me into entomology. Um, wait, etymology, entomology. Oh, etymology, etymology is words. Entomology is bugs. The difference between etymology and entomology just bugs me. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. Uh, well, I wouldn't insect you to be. It's probably one of my worst puns ever, and I'm yet I'm proud of it, and yet I'm proud. <laughs> I also love that the fact that when Sister sabotaged the wings of Third Drone, that she couldn't bring herself to sabotage the wings themselves because they were built by her brother. There's so much love there. And it's it's hard to say because they're 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 machines, so we don't know. Do they know love? You know, they're only just understanding lying. Love is such more of a, a complex concept, but whether they know it or not, there's definitely love there. And that is, it's, it's amazing that a story about two machines who uh, are so, so very inhuman that they don't know how to lie, which is basically like <laughs> one of the most human things, then like it, 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 to, to find that humanity in them uh, is, is, is very, I think speaks, it's a testament to the talent here. Oh, yeah. And I think that that's what's fascinating about this story and why I kind of wish it was the last of the six we'd be looking at <laughs> is in many ways it is so tied to these other stories themes. 
it's very much there's a whole lot of a guide for working breeds in it there's a whole lot of the mermaid astronaut in it there is absolutely a ton about the idea of uh what your duty is to your partner uh in this case brother in the case of uh badass moms and zombie apocalypse her partner and her child um this whole idea of thing and all of them sort of tie together and this is one of the things i love about this ballad is how well it holds together yeah that 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 definitely a a, a ballad that holds together very well and is just full of fantastic stories makes my imaginary vote real easy to cast <laughs> yeah it's gonna be simple you're just gonna know Every you're gonna week, wake up I, go ahead you're gonna wake up one morning and the sun's gonna hit you right in the eye and you're just going to scream the name of one of these stories. <laughs> well, we'll see. I, I Every week I finish reading this, the story and I'm like, damn it, that was so good. How can I decide? <laughs> you could flip a six-sided coin. That's probably going to be the, that's probably going to be the way I'm going to go. Yeah. If only um, there was something yeah. with six sides, though. I mean, it's a physical impossibility. Um, I'll go down to the Pentagon and then I'll add a side. I'm sure they'll be fine with that. I wanted to bring up another line that I just had to copy and paste and put it in my little document of little notes because it was just, damn it. You know, sometimes, okay. So for me, there's levels of the surprise line. Sometimes it's just like admiration and sometimes it's, why can't I say things like this? <laughs> this was, why can't I say things like this? And what this is, it's space opened up with a brittle scream of light and then closed again, and the ships were gone. Dust continued to annihilate itself in motes of brilliance for a few minutes. Then that too faded away. Well, knock my socks off and call me Sally. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, this is also as beautifully written as this is, as wonderful as the plot is, there's one element that always gets me. And it is the idea that this is a story which features a Dyson sphere that also at the same time does the exact right thing and says Dyson spheres are impossible, which they are. I'll leave that to you because I don't have that particular hang up. So <laughs> that's a you thing. I'm just going to be over here admiring the pretty words that are put together in a pretty way. <laughs> Hidden knives behind their smiles. Crap. There's, there's so much here that is just so great. And this is one of the things that T. Kingfisher does so well in everything I've read from him. Just such great wording. Ah, oh, I love things. I love things too. I love pretty things. And I love things that I get jealous of because I wish I could do them, but I still love them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I will say this will probably do pretty well because T. Kingfisher, very popular with the uh, readers and the voters. I hope, hope will do even better than I hope, which is weird because I hope that. <laughs> <laughs> But this is going to be a really hard ballot to talk about. And I think I think this story is the one that maybe is the most emotionally fulfilling for me. Whereas I think last week's was the most 
emotionally challenging for me. And I think that those two ideas are usually very closely tied, but here there's sort of enough separation that it becomes an impressive dichotomy of the same sort of realm. Should we have an episode that's just us arguing over these stories and every time we talk about one, I'm like, that's going to get my vote. And then we get to the next one, I'm like, that was going to get my vote. And you're going to have to remind me at the end that um, you can't vote for all of them and I'm not even voting, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) We'll talk about that later. Okay. I probably shouldn't throw ideas for episodes out during the episode. Yeah. I also had that exact idea earlier. (laughs) Sure you did. No, I believe you. (laughs) I do believe you. I just had it just now. So you did beat me. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) Yeah. Got anything else on this one? I just wanted to point out that even though it's a different sort, I do think I'm not 100%, but I think this is our first story that has cannibalism yeah you might be right on that one they didn't need anyone in the and there's no catholic stories (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, i think you're right it's uh cannibalism is one of my one of my buttons took a screenwriting class at one point and we had to write uh you know shorts in the genres we most disliked and so my first one was horror and I sat down with it and I was like, okay, I got to think about what I fear so I can work with that. And uh, I thought of a couple of things. I was like spiders and this and that and the other thing. And I was like, oh yeah, cannibalism. So I wrote a cannibalism short feature, short. <laughs> I think there was a cannibalism mention in Love is the Plan, the Plan is Death. Oh, there might've been, yeah. yeah if, if there would be a cannibalism mentioned in any story, it would be in that one. Yeah, I think so, there was. Still, still getting over the uh, insect incest. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's a thing. It's still, I still feel like, but, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's pretty much all I have. Is just that you know, like we don't we don't hit that particular trigger of mine, but it somehow still manages to be a little bit of a of a sore spot, even when it's machines cannibalizing each other. I still was like, oh no, I hope they don't have to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and uh, I think of all the titles in this one, speaking of triggers, I think uh, this is the first one that sounded uh, moist. Mm. I just talked about cannibalism, then you have to pull out another (laughs) one. Man, don't be a third drone. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I can't help it. Um, (laughs) My people cast me out. Uh, Hey, hey, Christy. Yes? What are we going to read next week? We are going to read what I wrote down in my notes before we started, because I actually prepared for once, but don't expect that to happen ever again. Uh, Open House on Haunted Hill by John Wiswell, which will finish up our time examining uh, on a case-by-case basis these short story prospects for the Hugo Award. And I, I'm a really intrigued by this title. This is, has to be probably the most intriguing, intriguing title open house on haunted hill i really want to see where this goes i'm excited me too well in that case i guess this has been short story short podcast scene